All right, let's, let's take our Bibles, let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter number six. Uh, we, we've got, has any, anybody ever remember that Smokey and the Bandit? <clears throat> well, tonight we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of ground tonight, but it's going to be, oh, it's going to be awesome. I'm telling you, this is, this is going to be, if you've ever worried, if you've ever doubted, if you've ever wondered about whether you were eternally secure, you're going to learn tonight. This is one of the greatest chapters on the eternal security of the believer, why we can be, uh, uh, why we can be convinced in the power, the keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's going to be a great, great night. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, and, and, and I'm going to have to go fast, okay? So, so, so bear with me, uh, and, and, and just let's, if y'all will listen fast, I'll talk fast. Amen? All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter number 6, uh, we, we stopped. I'm going to go back and cover a couple verses that, that we covered last week uh, because they go together. If you'll remember... If you'll, re matter of fact, y'all just sit down. Y'all just sit down. Everybody sit down. Sit down at Fairview. I got to explain some things first, okay? Um, if if y'all remember, last week, uh, the, the the writer of the letter, uh, he, he was pretty brutal. Can y'all can y'all agree with that? Uh, y'all are immature. You're drinking milk when you should be eating meat. For the time, you ought to be teachers, but now I got to go over this all over it. Are y'all with me? Now, y'all remember this. Last week when we was talking about uh, being immature and, and, and not being uh, seasoned saints because we've neglected the word and, and we have uh, not followed through, it got real quiet in here. And so... He was, he was rough on them. I mean, he was just laying it down, telling them uh, the, the reason that they're in the shape they're in, the reason that they're doubting like they're doubting, the reason that they're struggling like they're struggling is because they've neglected the word, they've neglected prayer, they are immature. For the time that they've been saved, they've been saved long enough that they should be teaching this stuff, much less having to have somebody teach them. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, that was a pretty, that was a pretty rough, rough, uh, scathing rebuke, if you will. And the writer knew that they were going to be discouraged. He knew that they were going to maybe possibly be worried. Okay. Are we going to lose our salvation? Are we going to lose? Uh, are we going to be, are we going to go back into condemnation again because we have not matured and developed like we're supposed to? And so he's going to combat that. All right. The, the, from, from verse four, from verse four, all the way to verse 20 is an encouragement to these believers that listen, when you come to Christ, you are secure. You can trust him. Because you remember, they were, they were doubting. They were being tempted to go back into Judaism. Uh, they were afraid. And they were saying, listen, basically he's saying this. You can come to Christ. You can trust him. I will take care of you. You will be okay. Are y'all with me? And so that's what we find from verses 4 through verse number 20. So let's do this. Let's read. And, and we'll jump right in there. He says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, that there's no doubting that he's describing a saved person. Verse four and five, describing a saved person. And it says, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the son of God afresh, and put him to an open chain. In other words, if it were possible for a saved person to lose their salvation, then it would not be possible for them to get saved again. Y'all there? It would be impossible because he said, then Christ would have to die all over again because the blood he shed the first time didn't get the job done. Are y'all with me? He says, no, that's, that's, that's impossible. He said, then he goes to describe, for the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it 
and bringeth forth herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and the things that accompany what? Salvation. Salvation. Though we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That ye be not slothful. Don't be lazy. Don't be apathetic. But followers of them who through faith and promise inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had paid, talking about Abraham, Abraham patiently endured, he what? Obtained. He got what God promised. Are y'all with me? This is good, I'm telling you. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing, uh, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. I want y'all to underline that phrase. We might have strong consolation. The word consolation is comfort assurance, all right? That is what verse 4 through 20 is all about, him giving strong consolation, all right? And it says, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into what within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege it is to be here. Thank you for the great crowd that's here tonight. Thank you for those who are participating with us in, in Fairview. Thank you for those who are watching online. Lord, I pray tonight that you will bring great consolation to every single child of God in this room. I pray that they will receive comfort. I pray that they will gain confidence in their salvation and who you are and what you have truly done for them. And God will give you the glory, give you the praise and the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go to point number one and let's go uh, through this as quick as we can. All right, we're going to go back to verse number four. All right, he's encouraging He's encouraging these Christians who are wobbly in their faith. They are immature. They've not developed like they should have developed. They've not uh, uh, it, it had the experience that they should experience. Uh, now he is, he is not wanting them. He's not wanting them to doubt what God has done for them. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And so there's a possibility that they, they are thinking that they could lose what they got because they have not matured like they should. All right? Amen? Now watch this. Here's what, number one. I want you to see, first of all, verses four through six, the explanation he describes. He explains this. He explains this. First, A, write this down. He gives a hypothetical case. He gives a hypothetical case. Verses four through six in other words, he said, let me just give you, let me just lay this out for you. If it were possible, okay, if it were possible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, have tasted the good word of God, the powers of the world to come, no doubt that's talking about a saved person. If they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now, here's, here's uh, I gave you this last week, but I put it as a review this week. Warren Wiersbe is a great, great uh, Bible commentator, a scholar of the word, and he paraphrased it. He paraphrased it and worded it this way. He said, let's suppose that you do not go on to maturity. Let's suppose you do not go on to maturity. In other words, you don't mature like you should. 
Does this mean that you will go back to condemnation? You will lose what you've got? That you will lose your salvation? He says what? Everybody. Impossible. If you could lose your salvation, it would be impossible to get it back again. And this would disgrace Jesus Christ. He would have to be crucified again for you, and this could never happen. This could never happen. He gives a hypothetical case and a helpful conclusion. What does this mean? You can't lose what he's given you. If it was possible for you to lose your salvation, the only way to gain it back, the only way to be restored or resaved, as some some people say it, uh, is he would have to die on the cross all over again so you could be forgiven. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this. He died one time. Once and for all. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So he first gives a hypothetical case. He gives a, 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 a what if, what if, all right? Now, the second thing, he begins to explain. Look at the next few verses, verse 7 through 10. He says, for the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed and receive, uh, receiveth blessings from God, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be what? Burn. 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 But beloved, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany what? Salvation. salvation. Though we thus speak. Then he begins to explain what they see, what's accompanying their salvation. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work, your labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Two things I want you to write down. Now, what is he doing? He's reassuring them of their salvation. The whole point of verses 4 through 20 is giving them an assurance of their security in Christ, all right? Assuring them of their salvation. And so he gives the hypothetical case, if it were even possible to do this, which it's not, then he says, let me tell you about fruit, all right? Fruit. Look in, look in this. He, he, he describes two things. He says that when the rain comes, when the rain comes, some soil is going to produce fruit. Some are going to produce the herbs. He said, but some in verse number eight is going to produce what? Briars and thorns. In other words, there's, there's two outcomes. There's two outcomes. I can preach, I can preach the gospel, and there's tons of people in here. In, in some people, it's going to produce fruit. And other people with a hard heart, a stony heart, and a, listen, a rejecting heart, there's going to be thorns and briars. All right? But here's the truth. Here's the truth. Write this down. I want you to see the reality of fruit. The reality of fruit. He spake, Matthew 13, 3, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Brought forth fruit. Some a hundred, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Then Jesus explains what this parable means. Matthew 13, 23. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. What is Jesus saying by there? If a person is truly saved, they will bear fruit. This is an evidence. The truth of the matter is 
There are people that have come and, 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 and wept at an altar, cried at an altar, and got up and went and lived the same life they lived before they come to the altar, did the same things they did before they come to the altar. There was no change. There was no life difference. There was no fruit. Are y'all with me? And he said the, the one thing, the one evidence of true salvation being truly born again is there's going to be some evidence. There's going to be some. Now, everybody ain't going to have the same amount of fruit. There's going to be 100. There's going to be 60. Are y'all with me? Now, we can't, we can't uh, judge, somebody's, judge somebody's salvation by the amount of fruit. Because some people are going to be more committed than others. There's going to be some people that are going to be more faithful than others. But I'm going to tell you this. If you got it, you're going to have some. Are y'all with me? And he, he teaches it that there's going to be fruit. Uh, then, then, so that's the reality. All right. He lays that out there. Right. Look in, look in verse 7 and 8. He says there's going to be fruit. And by the way. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruit, okay? You've got people on this side. You've got people on this side. You've got herbs and, 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 and fruit over here, and you've got briars and thorns over here. There's going to be, there's gonna be a, 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 a revelation of who they are by what they produce. Are you all with me? That's the truth. That's the principle. That's the point he's making. Now watch what he says. Now watch what he says. He says in verse number nine, but beloved, he just, he's just coming off of the thorny verse, right? Verse number eight. He just gets through talking about cursing and burning. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. Though we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward the saints, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. B, if you're taking notes, write this down. First, the evidence, there's going to be a reality of fruit. If a person is truly saved, there's going to be fruit in their life. They're going to bear fruit, some 100, some 60, some 30. There's going to be different variations of fruit, but there will be fruit. And then the writer says this, and by the way, I see some fruit. That is the recognition, all right, the recognition of fruitfulness. He says, we are convinced of better things of you. We look at your life and we see things that accompany salvation. In other words, there's evidence in your life. There is proof in your life. There are things that we can see that there has been a change in your life. There is a difference in your life. There is something in you that wasn't in you before. Are y'all with me? He says, we recognize this, this fruitfulness. There's evidence here. Now, keep in mind the goal. Keep in mind the goal. He's trying to help them be assured of their salvation. So what does he say? A person is saved, going to have some fruit. And guess what? Guess what I have seen and witnessed in you? Fruitfulness. Your labor of love. Now, keep in mind. Keep in mind. We don't bear fruit to get saved. We bear fruit if we are saved. That labor of love was not to earn salvation because you can't. Remember, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourself, it is the not of works. Lest any man should, lest any man should boast. All right. Church say amen. Now watch this. Watch this. This is important. James 2:17. James 2:17. Well, I just don't know if all that's that's necessary. Well, James said in James 2:17, he said even so faith if it hath not works is dead. dead. It's not legit. It's not real. In other words, it's not a faith that can get you to heaven. 
I'll be honest with you. If your faith can't get you to church, I'd wonder if it could get me to heaven. All these people running around, running around, say, well, you don't, you don't have to be, you don't have to go to church to be a good Christian. All that tells me is you haven't even read the Bible. Because it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Hello? Now watch what he says. Faith without works is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. Now read it with me. And I will. Here's the thing. You can work and not have faith, but you can't have faith and not have works. It's kind of like the old saying, you can, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And what he is saying here, James is trying to make it as simple as possible for everybody to understand. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. But faith that is real will work. There will be evidence. There will be works. There will be fruit. Are y'all with me so far? And he says, you guys, I see some fruit. I see your labor of love. I see, I see what you have done. Fruit's required. And I see fruitfulness. Church, say amen. So he's encouraging them. He's encouraging them. I see your fruit. I see your fruit. Then, then number three. <clears throat> oh, we got to hurry because I got to get to that last point. It's going to be so good, y'all. <clears throat> All right, number three, number three, verse 11. And we desire, now does what I said so far make sense? Okay, all right, now, verse 11. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Now, let me word it in, in, in a way that will make sense to us. You need to be diligent in order to be able to be assured. Let me say that again. In order to be assured, you're going to have to be diligent. Okay? Now watch. Watch. Everyone, we desire that everyone and you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. And that you be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Then he gives an example of one, talking about Abraham. Watch how his patience, he patiently endured. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now, I wish I could, I could tell you the, the timeline and the process that, that Abraham had to go before he received the promise, but he had to wait a long time for the answer to God's prayer. Are y'all with me? But he patiently, he waited, he endured, right? Now, here's two things I want you to write down. We see the explanation he describes, the evidence he details, then the exhortation he demanded. Now he's given them commands. He says this, two things, write this down. There has to be persistent effort. There has to be persistent effort. Be diligent. Don't neglect your Bible. Don't neglect the forsaking or don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect spiritual exercises. Be committed. Be persistent. Be diligent. Be diligent. Now watch. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye, everybody, be ye steadfast, unmovable, real loud with me, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't get wobbly. Be steadfast. Watch what the second Peter says. 
And beside this, give all diligence, give all diligence. Everybody knows what diligence is. I mean, you got to be sure. You got to be careful. You got to do everything you put everything you have to do this. Give all diligence. Add to your faith. Some people have this idea that I just come to Christ, get saved, and just sit back and let him pour it on me. Well, that's foolish. Peter says, no, 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 no. You don't just kick back. God's not just going to pour everything you need. Hello? It's not just going to come automatically. He says, you got to be diligent. And you got to include and work on virtue. Work on knowledge. Work on temperance. Work on patience. Work on godliness. Work on brotherly kindness. No, we need to work on that. Say amen. It's not going to come automatically. Listen, work on charity, loving. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now watch this. Everybody look at me. I had that in bigger letters, but I run out of space, so I had to make it smaller. Everybody look at me. Faith is required for salvation. But diligence is required for assurance. Let me say that again. Faith is required for salvation, not diligence. You can't work hard at getting saved. Matter of fact, you can't work at all. Because it's a gift. It's a gift. He gives it to you. All you have to do is believe in him. There are so many people that are so worried to death about their salvation, they're trying to get to heaven. You can't. You can't try to get to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't hope to be good enough. No, there is none righteous. No, not one. It is a gift. If you'll come to him, he'll give it to you. If you believe in him, he'll give it to you. If you place your faith in him, he'll give it to you. But the assurance that you got it requires diligence. Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. How many of y'all have ever, how many of y'all ever doubted your salvation before? Raise your hand. I'm going to got both my hands up because I've doubted multiple times. You may tell you when I haven't doubted. When I was prayed up, yeah. read up, Amen. giddy up. <clears throat> when I was wide open in the house of God, when I was reading my Bible from cover to cover, when I was prayed up and spending time with God, I never one time doubted. Nope. Not one time. But when I got slack, <coughs> when I didn't, when I didn't show some diligence that gave that gave room for Satan to go to work in my head it's easy to get foolish on God I know who I'm preaching to oh you're the preacher you're not supposed I'm a man and I'm going to tell you this one of the reasons that some of us doubt so much is because you're not showing diligence you're not being faithful. You're not being persistent. You're not scouring the word. You're not spending time in prayer. This is the same problem they had. They were drifting, right? Drifting from the word. Preacher, what are you saying? You want to have confidence? You want to have assurance? You want to quit doubting? Quit being lazy. Let me, let me get, y'all don't think I've done said a bad word to you. Let me give it to you. I'll, I'll just go King James on you. Verse 12, be not slothful, you slothful. I like lazy. That's better. That hurts worse. 
Let's don't, let's don't try to clean this up, okay? Are y'all with me? Don't be lazy. He's saying this. If you, if you want to be assured, if you want to have confidence, if you want to quit worrying and doubting, you're going, you can't be lazy. You're going to have to give some effort. That Bible don't work by osmosis. See, where in the world did you get that from? My senior year in high school, my last period in class was marine biology. It was a class I didn't have to have, so I slept every day. I'm glad mom and dad's not here. <clears throat> one day, one day, this big old bi uh, marine biology book's on the desk, and I had my head just snoring away. And Mr. Priest came by the desk and tapped on the desk. And said, he, I mean, he was a cool dude. He knew that most of the seniors in there didn't need it. They just had to be in a class. And he said, Mr. Carter? I said, yes, sir. Trying to wake up. He said, this doesn't work by osmosis. He said, that knowledge is not going to soak up into your head. I said, you're right, sir. I have to open it up. All you people that think your Bible's a good luck charm, that you keep your Bible under your pillow at night so you don't have nightmares, there ain't nothing to that. Your Bible is not a rabbit's foot. You actually have to open it to get the goody out of it. Are y'all with me? Diligence. Diligence. There's a lot more I want to say there, but we got 27 minutes, so I got to get... There's got to be persistent effort, persistent effort. Then there needs to be patient emulation. Look what he says in verse 12. Don't be lazy that you be not slothful, but what's that next word? Followers, Followers of, and let me say this, let me say this, let me say this so nobody get your feelings hurt. There's been many times in my life I've been slothful. Okay, so I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. We are all together in this thing. I don't know that there's any person in this room that's not struggled in their spiritual life because we just get lazy sometimes. Does everybody understand that? So, so look, don't, don't, don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't let your bottom lip hit the ground. I'll tell you like my baseball coach told us, pick your lip up, throw it over your shoulder, and let's go. Because we've all faced this. We all struggle with this. You know why? Because being diligent and reading your Bible and praying is a spiritual act, and we have to live in this old broke-down flesh, and we struggle. Your flesh ain't that. You, ever, you, don't, you don't need no sleeping pill. Just start reading your Bible when you go to bed. It'll put you right to sleep. Try to sit up and pray see what happens. Y'all with me? But we got to be diligent. If we need assurance... If we need more confidence in our, in our salvation, it's not going to come without diligence. Right. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. Now watch this. Now watch this. He says to emulate those who have shown faith and patience and who are inheriting the promises. And then he gives the illustration of Abraham. What a great one. He's the father of faith, right? But look what it says. Hebrews 12. If you will go, and we will, in a little while, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Faith Hall of Fame. Amen. Or the Hall of Faith, whatever you, want to, whatever you want to call it. And it lists all these people that by faith, by faith this one did this, by faith that one did that, by faith, by faith, by faith, by And I mean, it just gives this whole list of people. Yep. Are y'all with me? And then we go into chapter 12. Now watch what he says in chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of In other words, you see, he's standing in chapter 12 and he's pointing to chapter 11 and say, do you see all them? Yeah. Right? Do you see all that they did? Did you see what Abel did? Did you see what Joshua did? Do you see what David did? Do you see what all these great people emulate them? Follow them. Do what they did. See what Abraham did? Do what he did. 
He struggled. He had his ups and downs, but he patiently endured. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Sometimes, sometimes we need to we need to either find a, a good Bible character and act like them or find a good godly Christian and try our best to follow their example. He says, listen, we need to be patient. We need to, and, and Abraham's as good as they get. Even though he fell, he fell a bunch of times, but he got back up and kept on going. Are y'all with me? Say amen. So there needs to be patient emulation. Now, now. Number four, here we go. Now, from verses 16, verses 16, uh, and we're going to dip back into, we're going to dip back into verse number 13, but really from verse 13 on to 20, he gives you some reasons you can have confidence in your salvation. All right, and there's 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 four of them that I listed here, uh, and we're going to cover each one of them. You can be assured. You can have confidence. You don't have to doubt God. You don't have to worry. If you're saved, you're saved for good. Now, what do we base that on? What encouragements? What encouragements? did the writer give to these struggling saints who were doubting to help assure them of their salvation? Watch what he says. Let's go back up to, let's go back up to uh, 13. For when God made promise, when God made promise, then it says this, that, uh, 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 let me see. Verse 17, wherein God willing, uh, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs, as you and me, heirs of promise. promise. Write that down. That's the first thing we see. God's promise. God's promise. How do you know I'm saved for good? Because God promised it to me. How do you know you're secure? Because God promised it to me. How you know you can't lose it? Because God promised it to me. Now, here's what I had to do. Now, there, on some of your verses, some of your verses, all you have is the address. Because I, 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 I didn't want three pages for y'all. I got three pages, but you don't. Uh, but I've got them here, and I'm going to read them. I'm going to read them because you need to know them. And, and it'll be up on this screen. Just, just trust me. Do y'all see what I'm talking about? There's like four or five that's listed. All you have is the address. You don't have the actual verse. If that makes sense, say amen. All right, now watch this. We're going to go through these promises. What did God promise? John 6, 30, well, actually, you have John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, perish but have everlasting life. Amen. John 6, 37. I love this one. I love this one. John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, read it with me, I will in no wise cast out. Now, I looked up that word wise. It means manner, way of being or acting. So let's put that, let's plug that in to that, that statement. I will for no manner, no way of being, no way of acting will cast you out. No matter what you do, no matter how you behave, no matter how you act, no matter what manner, I'm not going to cast you out if you come to me. No shape, no form, no how. You're in. If you're in. Well, I tell you what, I just don't know if a person can act like that and sin like that. Now, he didn't say he ain't going to beat the devil out of you. We're going to get to that in a couple chapters. We're going to get his chastening. We're going to get to that whom he loveth, he chasteneth. He says, I'm not going to kick you out. If you come to me, I'm, I'm never going to kick you out for no reason. I may discipline the fire out of you, but for no reason will I kick are y'all with me? I mean, that's enough right there to make a Presbyterian shout. Say amen. No reason. No manner. 
No manner. Look here. Then he says this. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. What kind of life? Eternal, eternal life. And they shall never. Ne Does anybody know what never means? Never. never. You know what it means in the Greek? Never. Never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. I'm in Jesus' hand. Jesus is in the father's hand. How are you going to get me out of both of them? Look here. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an in inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Watch this now. Who are, what's that word? Kept. Who are kept by the power of God. Preacher, what are you saying? What I'm trying to tell you, you're not kept by your ability to be good. You're not kept by your power. You're not kept by your ability to hold on and hang out. No, no, no. You're kept by his power. It's not that you're trying to hold on to him. He's got a hold of you. What is that? It's a promise. It's a promise. What a promise. How many of y'all glad God's got a hold of him? who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Jude 23. Jude 23. Now unto him that is able to keep you from and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Listen, Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore, he is able to save them to thee that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make it. Y'all ain't going to believe chapter 7. When we get to chapter 7, it's going to be legit. Say amen. amen. Romans eight thirty one. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up <clears throat> for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Amen. Who shall lay anything at the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ who died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sore, as it is written. For thy sake we are all killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor debt nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. I don't know about y'all. That's some good promises. Ray Charles can see them. Those need no explanation. I will in no wise cast out. I will give you eternal life. You shall never perish. You're in my hand. I'm in the Father's hand. And ain't no man can pluck you out. That's his promise. That's his promise. And you know what? That's good enough. But he gives some more. You know why? Because he knew in our human nature we'd doubt. He did. So what else does he give us? First, he gave us his promise. Now, now I, I had to give you all them so you know what he has promised you. When you got saved and you come to him, he gave you eternal life. But then I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Secondly, or B, what was A? His promise. promise. B, I want you to look at his person. 
his person. I love this. We're going to read verse 16, and then we're going to jump back up there to verse 13. Okay? Verse 16 tells us, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Now, what does that mean? When you, get, when you are under oath, when you give an oath, when you go to the court, court, right, you're standing there and raise your right hand, what do you say? I solemnly swear to tell the whole truth, and the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so you are appealing to the greater. Y'all with me? The lesser is, is making an oath from the greater. In other words, God, well, let me just read you the definition that Webster's Dictionary gave for oath. Watch this. A solemn affirmation or declaration made with an appeal to God for the truth of what is affirmed. The appeal to God in an oath implies that the person imprecates or invokes his vengeance and renounces his favor if the declaration is false. In other words, he is basically this. God strike me if what I'm telling you is a lie. Y'all with me? Now watch. Um, it is a declaration of a promise. The person invokes the vengeance of God if he should fail to fulfill it. So men verily swear by the greater. In other words, God, when we say, so help me, God is going to deal with me if I don't do what I say I'm going to do. Y'all with me? Now watch. Go back to verse 13. Verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear. So this is God. I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me, me. There is nobody greater. There is nothing greater. There's no higher entity. There's no higher power. There's no greater than the Lord. And oh, are y'all with me? He said, I can't go to nothing higher, so I'm just going to go to myself. Are y'all with me? Now watch this. Watch this. This is good. Watch this right here. Titus 1, 2. He's swearing by himself. Men swear to the greater. Well, there's nobody greater than God, so he just swore by himself. Titus 1, 2. He, in other words, he's saying, you can trust my promise because of who I am. Because of my person, you can trust my promise. Are y'all with me? Now watch this. Watch this. Titus 1, 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, that what? cannot lie. Look what he says in Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said he shall, or shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken it? And shall he not make it good? In other words, if he said it, he'll do it. Amen. Are y'all with me? Listen, James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with his whom no variableness, that means no changing, neither shadow of turning, neither shadow of turning. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now watch this. Watch this. He, he, he is saying this. Let me go back to ver Numbers. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie neither the son of man that he should that means change his mind hath he said and shall he not do it or hath he spoken shall he not make it good in other words what he's trying to say and this is the simplest way I can tell you God's not fickle like we are well some people you don't never know what you're going to get 
From one day to the next, depending on what side the bed they got up off of or whatever, listen, they may be a bear cat one day and a, a sweet thing the next. You don't ever know what's going to happen or who's going to show up, but he is saying this, God is not like that. He will not change. He will be the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if he gave you a promise yesterday, it'll stand today and it'll stand forever. You can be assured in the promise of God because of the person of God. Amen. That's it. I mean, let me throw this in here. He made a covenant with Abraham, right? Yep. Made a covenant with Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless him to bless thee and curse him to curse you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your socks off. That's basically what he told Abraham. Amen. And they made a covenant. In the old days, Two kings would come together and make a covenant, a treaty with one another. And they would, take, they would take two bulls or two animals here and they'd cut them all to pieces, quarter them all up. And I mean, they're just, they're just body parts all over the place. And they would, them two kings would walk in between those pieces when they made that agreement and that covenant. I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. That other one says, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And in that covenant, here, here's the point. Let it happen to me what happened to these animals if I keep not my covenant. Y'all with me? But this is what happened. He told Abraham to lay, lay them pieces out, and he's going to make a covenant with them. And then this is what he did. He put Abraham to sleep. And then God all by himself walked into pieces all around so that the covenant was completely based on the power and wisdom of God and not the ability of Abraham. So it didn't matter what Abraham did or didn't do. It didn't matter how faithful Abraham was. God made the covenant. He swore an oath all by himself. That means that his covenant with you and his promise to you it's not based on your faithfulness. It's not based on your ability. It's not based on, are y'all with me? It's all on him. I don't know what it's going to take to get some of y'all to shout. I really don't. I just, watch this. Maybe this one will do it. Maybe this one will do it. I'm, I'm going to tell you like that. You say, it's getting gooder and gooder and gooder. He gave us his promise. He assures us by his person that I want you to see his pledge. His pledge, verse 17. It says, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. That's you and me. In other words, let me put it this way. Here's what we say. He wanted to big time assure you more abundantly. He wanted to big time give you confidence. Are y'all with me? So this is what he did. It says to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability. In other words, the, the, the inability to change the counsel, the purpose that he gave you. That's eternal security. No wise cast out, never perish, eternal life. He, what's that next word? Confirm. Say it with me. He confirmed it by an oath. Now, I want you to look at this. Write this word down. I want you to see his pledge. What is the confirmation of God's oath? All right, because see, here's, here's the way this works. He gave you a promise. He said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Then he made a covenant or he made an oath. Now, he didn't need to. And he didn't have to. Because his promise is sure. It would have been enough. But guess what? He wanted to big time give you assurance. So not only did he give you a promise, 
He made an oath to that promise. I by myself swear that I'm going to do what I promise for you. Then he gave a pledge. He confirmed the oath to you. Say, how did he do that? He gave you the Holy Spirit. Watch. Watch. The Holy Spirit is God's pledge and confirmation of his oath. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, 21, now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the spirit. Now you, you realtors in here, you're going to really like this. This is going to make more sense to you than anybody. Ephesians 1 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy spirit of promise, which is The Holy Spirit of promise that we're sealed by is the what? Earnest of our inheritance. Now, let me give you the definition of earnest. It's erabon, the Greek word erabon, which means earnest money. Deposited by the purchaser and forfeited if the purchase is not completed. In general usage, it, it it came to denote a pledge or an earnest of any sort. In the New Testament, it's used only of that which is assured by God to believers. It is said of the Holy Spirit as a divine pledge of all their future blessedness. Now, let me help you. I told you all this before, and I'll tell you it again. When I first moved, we've never lived in a house we own. Uh, My dad was a pastor. We lived in the parsonage. It was the the house the church owned. Never bought a house in my life until I moved to Coleman, Alabama. We we were renting. First six months we were here, we were renting. We found a little house we could afford. And and so I went to the realtor and I said, okay, we'll offer this much. And she says, okay, that's great. That's wonderful. I'll let them know. Uh, Write me a check for $500. I said, for what? She said, oh, it's earnest money. Like I knew what that was. I said, ma'am, the only earnest I knew went to camp. You're going to have to help me with this. That's exactly what I told her. She said, oh, oh, I know. She said, this is the deal. You're offering this, 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 this uh, offer on the house, and this $500 is telling them that you're serious about your offer. Now, I'm going to tell you, in that moment, in that moment, these verses come to my mind. I know she thought I lost my mind, but I had a Baptist fit right there in that office. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is God's pledge, God's engagement ring to you, God's earnest money to you, that he's saying, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. I've got an inheritance waiting on you. I'm going to seal you and give you the Holy Spirit. He is the pledge to let you know I'm serious about my offer. You're sealed. Look what the word sealed means. Look what the word sealed means. It means fixed, secured. It denotes ownership and security together with destination in the sealing of believers by the gift of the Holy Spirit upon believing. Preacher, what are you saying? The moment that you got saved, he gave you the pledge of the Holy Spirit to be in you, and in that moment, he sealed you. He eternally fixed and secured your destination. I couldn't get lost if I wanted to. Why? I'm sealed. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I've been sealed. Watch this. Watch this right here. 
Look at Ephesians 4.30, the last verse underneath that. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby, you know, read it with me, ye are Preacher, how long are you going to be sealed till he comes and gets me? What, what else do I got to say? How long are you sealed till you fall again? Nope. Till you cuss again? Thank God. I've been around some of y'all. Till you get angry in traffic again? No, you're sealed until the day of redemption. Yeah. That ain't it. That ain't the the final one. He gave us his promise. He explained his person. He gave us a pledge. Then I want you to see his priest. This is the best one. And we don't even have time to deal with it. But we're going to deal with, let me just give you what it says. That by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, comfort. Any of y'all got any comfort tonight? I'm talking about some strong comfort and assurance. Who have fled for refuge. That's talking, man, we could go in to talk about the cities of refuge in the Old Testament. I wish we had time for that. We fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. What is that hope? Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered even. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is Old Testament. This is Old Testament typology. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. In other words, the, the, where, where God's glory was, where the Ark of the Covenant was, the, the mercy seat was. And see, that, that priest would go in there and he would take the blood for the sins of the people. He was the representative of the people to God and uh, the representative of God to the people. Are y'all with me? But then he would have to come out. He, would ha- he couldn't stay in the presence of God. He'd have to come out because he was a sinner too. But Jesus, Jesus, when he ascended up into heaven, he went into, because you got to understand that the tabernacle in the temple was just a pattern, and we're going to get to that in Hebrews, a pattern of what was in heaven. Preacher, what are you saying? There's a holy of holies in heaven. There's a mercy seat in heaven. There's a throne of glory in heaven that our high priest has gone in before us to represent us while he's there. He didn't come back out. He is still there, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Man, how much more assurance do you need? Look what he said to Peter. Well, I'm going to get in trouble. Peter, Satan has desired to have thee, that he may sift you as wheat. But, (laughs) I have prayed for thee. And I don't know if you remember or not, but his prayer was heard. Peter fell and tripped up, but oh, God restored him. And he stood on the day of Pentecost and saw thousands saved because he preached the gospel. Even though Satan desired to have him, he had somebody praying for him. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying there's somebody that's praying for you. 
There's somebody that sees your weaknesses, sees your tendencies, sees your failures, and he's right beside the Father in heaven saying, hey, have mercy on him. He's an idiot. Forgive him. I know God says that to some of y'all. I know he said it to me several times. Lord, just... You know, it's hard for us to even, we, we have spiritualized stuff so much. It's hard for us to really comprehend that God's son is up there right now working on our behalf, praying on our behalf, interceding on our behalf. And, and, and as we continue in the book of Hebrews, that is what's going to be explained is his heavenly ministry to us. You see, the milk is he died or he came, he lived, he died, he rose again. It's what he did on earth. And that's great. And we all need to know that. But the meat is what he's doing, not what he did for you, but what he's doing for you. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. 